Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 30, from verse 25 to the end of the chapter. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way, so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, If I found favour in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, Name your wages and I'll pay them. Jacob said to him, You know how I have worked for you and how your livestock have fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you? he asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-coloured lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you've paid me, any goat in my possession that's not speckled or spotted or any lamb that's not dark-coloured will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you've said. That same day he, that is Laban, removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-coloured lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond and plane trees, and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the water troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches and they bore young that was streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves but made the rest face the streaked and dark-coloured animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and menservants and camels and donkeys. All right. Good morning, friends. Another fun passage in Genesis, right? Fun to be had here. Uh, In fact, and honestly, it's a tricky one. Uh, I just want to say that sort of straight up. As I've been working through it this week, I've changed my mind on some of the details a few different times. So if you heard me talk about this passage earlier in the week, you might notice some little differences. Not in the big picture and all that sort of stuff. Uh, But we'll walk through it bit by bit, and uh, we'll get to some solid understanding as we go. Now, 
Uh, earlier this year, I noticed a, a tweet that came out from a comedian by the name of Kevin McCra- McCaffrey. Uh, he said, years ago, I was scheduled for a double shift at Olive Garden. I told them my grandma died, and they said, well, then, you can just, can you work just one shift? I was so furious they'd asked that, I never went back. Also, I was lying, my grandma was fine, but still... And the funny thing was that this uh, set off a series of tweets, people commenting back to him about stories of you know, workplace injustice, where workers were treated unfairly. Uh, so this lady said, I had the flu and was horrifically sick working there at Olive Garden as well. I had to call out of my shift, and the manager called me every hour on the hour to ask if I was better and ready to come in yet. I should have quit right then, but I really needed the job at the time. Next person said, I was in summer school working a summer job when my father had a massive accident, and I needed to go... Uh, go for one weekend to help out. My manager's reply, what's more important, work or family? He wanted me to choose for a summer job. And then we have uh, actual magical girl. I don't know if that's true. Uh, in college, I used to work at Kmart in their cafeteria. I requested my graduation day off. They denied it. So I reported the nests of cockroaches they'd kept ignoring to the local health department and graduated in peace. At one point or another, we are probably going to have to deal with some sort of situation of injustice or unfairness. And often it happens when there's a power imbalance, right? Where you're a, a rookie employee starting out or maybe in a situation where you're at some sort of low level. But even as you can, you know, move on in life, there's all sorts of things from government to legal systems to, uh, you know, different moves in the world around us where we're in a situation where things just aren't fair. It's unjust. And we're going to see in this passage today where Jacob is in a situation that's not just. It's unfair. Jacob has not always been a good guy by any stretch, but at the same time, we can't deny that he finds himself in a situation here where he's being treated unjustly and unfairly, and we're going to think about how he responds, uh, and then how that can point us towards Christ and how we should live today. So last week, we saw the pregnancy battle royale between Rachel and Leah, and that story ended with Rachel at long last having a child of her own, little baby Joseph. And immediately after that, Jacob makes the decision that it's time to go. It says, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so that I can go back to my own home, homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I'll be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. Now what's interesting about this is Jacob needs to ask permission from Laban, not just to leave, but to have his own wife and kids. Which seems a little odd, right? Like, isn't that normally how marriage works? You, you, know, you, you cleave and leave? Like, isn't that the idea? That you're now your own family, free to move as you would please, particularly with your own children? But obviously that isn't the case here, and that's the reason, and that's, you know, for a few different reasons. So we've seen previously how Jacob has not been treated by Laban as an honoured guest or honoured family member. We've seen earlier on in Laban's life when uh, one of Abraham's servants came to him to marry, or to to get his sister Rebecca to marry Isaac, how he treated the servant with all this respect, and you honoured man, and gave him a feast, and all that sort of stuff. But Jacob, he puts to work immediately, which kind of makes sense. Jacob's essentially a fugitive, he's on the run, his brother wants to kill him, and all that sort of stuff. But Jacob has never been Laban's equal. Right? That's just not how this relationship has worked. He's always been kind of dependent on Jacob. And it explains why he had to offer such an extravagant price in order to try to marry Rachel. 
Right? To work seven years to get somebody's daughter, even back then, was a huge price to pay. And it kind of suggests that Jacob's always been in this weaker bargaining position in everything that he's had to do with Laban. And this thing about needing to ask for permission to take his wife and kids with him also seems to be a common practice back in the day for when somebody was in a master-slave relationship. And while that's never explicitly said, when we look at Exodus 21, which admittedly are laws that were a few hundred years later, but they still give us the the feel of what culture was like back then, we we see a situation where if you were a slave and you married while you were a slave... Okay, if you wanted to leave when, when the, the six years of service was up, which was kind of the maximum time you could be a slave back then, you had to ask for permission to take your slave wife and kids with you. They technically belong to your master. And so it really looks like here we've got this strong power imbalance between Laban and Jacob. Laban is the one whose household he's in. He's in control. Jacob's always been in the weaken, weaker bargaining position And now, even as he comes to leave, he's still needing to go to Laban for permission to do just that. So that's kind of the situation that we find ourselves in here. Now Laban responds in an interesting interesting way. He says, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. Which sounds super humble. In fact, it's typically the way that a slave would speak to a master. But this is kind of the way that deals got done back in the day. Each party almost trying to out-graciousness one another in the way that they spoke to each other. We saw that a little bit earlier on in Genesis with negotiations about wells and all that sort of stuff. So Laban's coming across real humble, but like I said, he definitely holds all the cards here. If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Now, the divination word's a funny one there. It might just mean I've had good fortune because of you. But whatever the case may be, it's clear Laban recognizes that Jacob has been with him. And as a result of that, the Lord has blessed him. Okay, that, That's agreed upon. And we see here, then he adds this little extra tag here, name your wages and I will pay them. But... It seems in context, he's not talking about going forward, what would you like from me? But rather, if I owe you anything, like name the wages that I owe you and I'll pay them. But of course, we know that he's already paid that because he's given his daughters to Jacob already. So it's sort of his way of saying, hey, we're we're fair and square, man. I paid you what you were meant to get for the work you've done for me. So Jacob makes a different appeal. He said, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. And he's agreeing with him. The little you had before I came has increased greatly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? Jacob's trying to say, listen, he's not arguing the point. You did pay me what we agreed. And yet, at the same time, let's recognize that you have done very well out of having me here when is the time going to come that I can do something for me and mine? And so, Laban says, what shall I give you? Let, let's talk. You know, Laban, hey, he's a crafty guy. He's always willing to make a deal, right? Likes to move. What do you got? Come on, let's make a deal. And Jacob comes up with an interesting idea. He says, don't give me anything, but if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks I'm watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And my honesty will testify, me in the, testify for me in the future. 
Whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark colored will be considered stolen. Alright, so the idea is, Laban's got this big old flock, alright, and some of them, a small number, alright, are speckled, spotted, or streaked. Way less than 20%, which would have been like the standard price to pay a shepherd for caring for a flock. So Jacob is proposing a deal that on the surface looks very good towards Laban. Why is he doing this? Well, if we read ahead to chapter 31, we see that it turns out that Jacob's actually been given a vision that included these multicolored animals. So in Genesis 31, which we'll look at in more detail next week, but I just want you to catch this little bit so you understand some of what Jacob's thinking here. It says, in the breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goat, and saw the male goats mating with the flock, and they were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am, and he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted, for I've seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your mother, Land. So, it turns out the idea to depart from Laban at this time was actually the product of a dream, a vision, that Jacob had received. And in that, there was this declaration about seeing the speckled, spotted, streaked animals. And so, Jacob is coming up with a deal here that seems to be in line with the vision. God didn't say in the vision, make this deal specifically, but he's telling him the time to come, the time to go back home has come. I'm with you, I've seen what Laban has been doing to you. Oh, and by the way, did you notice these multicolored flocks? And that seems to be where, where Jacob has got the idea from, even though that's not the specifics that it says. Now Laban, all he's thinking is, hold on, you're asking for a tiny percentage of the flock, alright? And even going forward, like, there's, there's not much chance that you're going to get a lot out of this. This is a really good deal for me. And so Laban, of course, says, agreed. Let it be as you have said. But Laban being Laban, always looking for an angle and totally willing to change the deal. Why can he do this? Because he's the one in the power seat. What's Jacob going to do? He says that same day he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted. Laban does this. And all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them and all the dark colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. So, Jacob proposes, hey, I'll take all the strict and speckled ones, I'll go through, sort them out, that sort of stuff, I'll get to keep them and any offspring in the future that are speckled or spotted. Laban's like, yeah, cool, 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 cool. But before Jacob can get in there and even take the small number that would have been present in the flock, Laban's like, boys, get him out of here. Get him three days away, and now... Jacob's left with the majority of Laban's flock to care for, but with no speckled or spotted ones amongst them. And it looks like Laban's got the upper hand and won the deal again. But then, something weird happens. And that's really the best way to describe this. It's just weird. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. So, step one of the process. Three different trees. Take some branches. Strip some bark. And now they look spotty and speckled and streaked. Alright? And now once we have these delightful 
looking branches, he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. Okay, so we've taken the pretty branches, we've put them in the water troughs so that when the animals came to drink, they would be right there in front of them. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches and, as we would all expect, they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. Because that's how the world works. Now, look, it's weird, okay? I've read some doozies of explanations this week of uh, people that have tried to figure out what could possibly be going on here uh, on, on two different levels. So there definitely seems to have been an idea back then, kind of a superstition maybe we might call it, that what animals saw while they were mating affected what their offspring would be like. That seems to have been a thing, right, back then. So maybe Jacob's just sort of thinking, well, you know, Laban's, you know, switched the deal in his favor again. I'm going to roll the dice. God said, speckled and spotted. This, maybe this works. I, I don't know. But maybe, okay. And people have tried to explain this scientifically. They're like, well, maybe. Just maybe. When they took the branches, some of the sap like from, from inside, seeped into the water, and there was like a chemical reaction, and when they drank it, it, you know, it changed some of their genomic sequencing. They've looked at... Actually, they've looked at mice and, and sheep. They've seen some evidence to support this possibility. But here's the thing. It doesn't really matter, right? How God did this, whether it was miraculously through some sort of natural process we haven't developed yet, doesn't really matter. The key thing is, is that... Jacob, despite being left for dead by Laban as far as this deal goes, right, continues to focus on the possibility of how can I get spot, spotted speckled sheep, whether he knew what he was doing or not. The end result is, is that he gets exactly what he saw in the vision. The speckled, spotted, multicolored sheep and goat. And then what he does next is something that makes a little bit more sense to us. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and dark-coloured animals they, that had belonged to Laban. Remember, he thinks that what they see is going to affect what they breed. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. So now he's separating them out himself. Laban's single-coloured ones over here, his multicoloured ones over here. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so that they would mate near the branches. He's seeing the results of what he's doing and he's like, this is great, now I'm going to deliberately do it with the stronger animals. But if the animals are weak, he would not place them there so the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. We're seeing a massive reversal in what's happening. Laban is the one who's held all the power, all of the cards. He's been blessed by God because Jacob has been with him. He is able to make whatever deal he wants because there's nothing that Jacob can do about it. But through this, admittedly, weird process, Jacob is now the one who has large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. And if we look at just into the next chapter, it says, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. Now, what we really see here 
is a, is a massive reversal of fortune. That, that, that's kind of the idea going in. Laban is clearly the wealthy one, the one who's in control, the one who's in power. Jacob is clearly in a position where he's having to ask Laban for, for permission to do what we would consider a simple idea, the freedom to relocate with his family. He's, it, Laban views J- Jacob's wives and children as his own. The deal that Jacob cuts here with Laban was already slanted in Laban's favor, and then Laban goes and uses his power to be even more tricky and deceptive and tilt it even further towards himself. And yet, Jacob, still with that vision presumably in mind, and we certainly see that that seems to have been guiding him from how he talks to his wives in the next chapter, continues though with this plan of streaked, speckled, or spotted, that's the vision that I got from God, and that's what I'm going to continue to hope for through my magic branches. But the key thing is, is that God, through this, has kept his word to Jacob. Jacob's been in a system, in a situation that was unjust and unfair, and yet through it all, God has brought Jacob to a point where he is now ready to head back towards the promised land with a growing people, and with the wealth in which he can use to bless the nations as he gets back towards the land God's promised him. So, what are, what are we to do with this? Well, like I started off by saying at the start of today's sermon, we are, in times, going to be in situations of injustice and unfairness ourselves. Right? We could be trying to do something good. Think about those Christians serving in mission fields where the government is actively trying to stop them just from preaching the gospel. Right, where, where, where they are being treated as second-class citizens or being treated as enemies of the state in order to declare Christ and bring the good news of people. I would say that is, that is unjust. Right, we can be in situations today where, again, if you're a younger person and uh, in particular, or, you're, or you've been in the workforce for a little while, um, but for whatever reason you're, you're at kind of a lower-ranking position in your place of employment, if your boss is unfair and unjust, it can be a really difficult situation for you to be in. If you've ever been in a situation where um, you know you, you've got uh, any form of industry or corporation or institution where the higher levels are not playing by the rules, but you've got little influence, it's a really, really hard spot to be in. It can even happen in churches, right? Like I, I can't tell you how many tragic and sad stories I've heard of where ministers. Elders, people in positions of influence in church or Christian organizations use that power to treat people unjustly and unfairly. This can happen anywhere. And so the the question for us is, well, how are we going to respond? We see Jacob in this instance behaving somewhat differently, I think, from what we've seen him do in the past. He, He seems to be operating more in accordance with the promises of God that's been given to him. He, he doesn't attempt to deceive Laban here, but, and he trusts in what we might call a weird process, but his faith seems to be in, okay, I'm, I'm pursuing what God has given me here in front of me. And it's interesting, because when we look at Jesus, I would say that even though he was the creator of the cosmos, the most powerful being ever to enter and walk in this world, even he had to deal with systems of injustice. Think about the religious leaders of his time and the way that they treated him. 
Jesus is going about showing people miracles. People are being blessed because of what he is doing. He is showing them signs that clearly point to the fact that he is the Lord himself. In fact, in John chapter 10, we read about how he raised Lazarus from the dead, and then this is what happens next. It says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. The religious leaders, with all the power and the influence in Jesus' time, are looking at Jesus doing signs and miracles, but their concern is for their own power and influence. We'll lose our temple and our nation. And so what do they attempt to do? Well, it says that one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Let's kill him. Now, Caiaphas is acting weirdly in accordance with the Lord's will. He'd seen in a vision that Jesus was going to die for the people, but he completely misinterprets it to reinforce his own notion of how things should be. That the powers of the day should stay in power. Now, Jesus doesn't immediately push back and fight and lead violence against those that are treating him unjustly and unfairly he comes up with something that's actually even more crazy than branches and water. He comes up with death and resurrection. The Father's plan all along. And so when we're in systems that are unjust and unfair, there might be times when we take action against that. I'm not saying that it's inappropriate for us to do so, but sometimes our options are really limited, just like it was with Jacob. Sometimes there's actually very little that we can do. We're alone. You know, we, we, we like to think these days about mass action, grassroots movements and all that sort of stuff. That wasn't an option that was available to Jacob, but it's not going to be an option that's available to us sometimes either. And so Jacob trusts in the Lord. He, he steps beyond just the situation with Laban and instead, in the small detail that he has in front of him, he seeks to continue to pursue what God's given him. And as a result... God blesses him immensely. Now, I want want you to hear me carefully on this, because I don't want you to mishear me. I don't want you to hear hear me saying something I'm not. I'm not saying that in every situation of injustice that you find yourself in, that there's going to be some massive role reversal in this world, where you're going to walk away wealthy and in power in a worldly sense yourself. There's not always going to be a nest of roaches that you can report to let you live in peace. But, if we pull back, we can see that with what Jesus is doing in this world, no matter what injustice that we face here in this time, there is a promise from God that Jesus is returning to right every single wrong, to recreate this world, where the last shall be first, where the weak shall be strong, where we'll get to sit in the heavenly realms with Jesus forever, and where every other power and principality that stood against God is on the outside looking in. And so, in times of injustice, in times of unfairness, when we're not being treated right, and this is important to understand, there's no doubt 
You know, Laban is acting wrong. Nobody's trying to say that it's okay. Nobody's trying to say that, oh, it's not a big deal. It is wrong. It is a big deal. It's not cool. But our response should be to pursue and keep trusting in the promises that God has given us. We can seek to be creative and crafty like Jacob was here, whether he knew what he was doing or not. But the thing is, is that what Jacob does do, undeniably, is continue to keep his eyes focused on the vision that God has given him, the promises that he's made to him. And that's what enables him to get through it. So my encouragement to all of us this morning is by the power of God's Spirit to keep trusting in the vision that he's given us. That Jesus has come. That he's risen from the dead. That he's defeated death. That the forgiveness of sin is ours. That no matter what situation we find ourselves in, in this world, it is but a light momentary affliction compared to the eternal glory that God is giving to us forever. And we can pray and hope that God turns the situation around in the present, but even if he doesn't, we can keep focusing on everything that he's promised us in Christ. I'm going to pray that I'd be out of heart now. Father God, thank you so much for the hope that we have in the face of injustice. That we're treated poorly, unfairly, we're burned by those who should be caring for us. For those who should know better. Lord, thank you that you offer us a hope that is far greater than any injustice that we'll face in this world. And some of it sucks. Lord, help us in those times when we are weak and others around us seem strong to have all sorts of power over us to keep remembering that your promises are far greater. That your power is far mightier. And that we have a living hope in Christ that stretches into eternity. And that we know that our place there with you is safe no matter what. Help us, Lord, to to be crafty, to keep our eyes focused on the things that we can do that's in front of us, to, to make good decisions with what we can control. But, Lord, always trusting in the vision that you've given us of the promises that we have in Christ. Forgiveness. Redemption. Adoption, sanctification, and eternal life and salvation with you. And we thank you that all things are possible by the power of your Spirit doing this in us. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name.